This episode is brought to you by the Denver Public Library. This season is all about women writers who are working to create community impact. We think elevating the work of these writers is so important that we've partnered with one of our favorite community resources, our local library system, Denver Public Library to be exact. And whether you're in Denver or someplace else, the library wants you to know that they're still here providing vital community resources. The Denver Public Library works to foster a culture of exploration, innovation, and forward thinking, and is focused on creating a strong community where everyone thrives. Head over to denverlibrary.org to access the latest virtual events and resources and find some of the great books by many of the talented authors we've had the pleasure of featuring this season. Hey, it's Tangie Renee. Before we get to the show, I'm popping in to quickly ask for a huge favor. If you're a fan of this show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of growing our listenership this season, and we could only do it with your help. Please take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Look at your phone right now and hit subscribe. Next, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile, leave us a written review in addition to the five stars. That helps even more. This show has grown because of the incredible support of our listeners, and we have an ambitious goal of getting to our next 10,000 downloads this season. We can't reach our goal without your help, so please subscribe rate this podcast, and don't forget to keep sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Just hit share from wherever you're listening. That's it. Easy peasy. Thanks in advance for all your support. Smooches. Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a quick heads up about something. The Colorado Podcast Awards, called The Hoppies, are taking nominations right now. Apparently this has been going on for a little while, but I was not on the ball, so I'm asking you now, as a supporter and friend of this show, if you wouldn't mind giving us a nomination. All you have to do is head over to houseofpod.com forward slash the hoppies. Nominations end on November 20th, so you got to do it right away, and we'll love you forever. Thanks so much for always being a supporter of the show. Now, I want to introduce you to our next guest, who I couldn't be more thrilled to have gotten on the show, and it's such a timely topic. The guest is Dr. Gail Parker. She's a psychologist, author, and educator, and the author of her latest book, Restorative Yoga for Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma. It is the first book of its kind that describes how restorative yoga can be used as an effective self-care tool that helps you navigate the stresses and traumas arising from daily lived experiences associated with race. Dr. Gail is a well-known pioneer in this field in the efforts of blending together psychology, yoga, and meditation as an effective self-care tool. She is a broad expert in behavior health, wellness, which includes 40 years as a practicing psychotherapist and 20 years as a yoga therapy educator. She has been a featured psychology expert on nationally and internationally syndicated talk shows, including numerous appearances on The Oprah Show. She's also the president of the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance Board of Directors. She is excellent at what she does. She's exceptional, and it is truly a pleasure to have been able to read her book and learn from her. Um, I just learned so much, and I'm excited to share her knowledge and expertise with you right now, which feels really timely. We recorded this just after um, the election. Uh, and there's just so much wisdom here. So let's jump in and get started. Welcome back, everyone. I am so, so excited to introduce you to Dr. Gail Parker. This is the interview I've been waiting for a while to do. This is the one I've been most excited for because I think it's maybe one of the most timely interviews we're going to do this entire season. And I think you're going to get some really great takeaways. I think you're going to learn a lot. I know I did from reading the book, so I can't wait to get into this and also give away the book, Dr. Gail's latest book, Restorative Yoga for Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma. 
It sounds like it's a book only for therapists, but it's not. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. I read the book cover to cover. Easy read, easy to understand, and lots of really useful, actionable information in it. So thank you so much, Dr. Gail, for joining us and for writing the book. Well, thank you for the invitation. And I love hearing just the overview of what you received from the book, because you're right. You don't have to know anything about yoga or practice yoga. You do not have to know anything about therapy or have been in therapy. It really was written, my intent was to write it so that it would reach a broad range of people who could understand the principles that I'm talking about. So I really, I think that what I've tried to do is share some universal principles that are critically important for us, especially now. It definitely comes through. And when I first saw the book, I think, how did I find the book? I think I saw it on Instagram and I was like, well, that sounds interesting just because I have an interest in yoga. I wouldn't call myself a yogi. I would call myself someone who attempts yoga consistently (laughs) with some success and sometimes not. But (laughs) so I was interested in the book. I thought I would reach out and get you on. And I really did expect a book that was sort of textbooky in feel and tone because you're a doctor and that's how I expect doctors to write. (laughs) What I got was something that helped me understand yoga at a different level than I had considered before. Although I really enjoy yoga and I have decided to get my basic yoga certification, I don't read like yoga books or follow like yoga people because I often don't know what they're talking about. And I often find that I can't resonate with them on any type of authentic level. It's a lot of like love and light, which is nice on the surface level, but doesn't mean anything to me any other time. I'm just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So I appreciated that this, you know, you as a psychotherapist are really explaining yoga to someone like me, who's not in that industry, in that field, and able to have some takeaways from it. Let's start off by talking about how did you even come to this place of writing this book? Because it wasn't necessarily through yoga, it was maybe through your psychotherapy work, which is your day job. It was, and it's also as my lived experience as a Black woman. So it's all of that. Every aspect of my being contributed to me writing this book. I did not intend to write this book. This was not a book that I thought about writing. I was invited to write the book. I gave a presentation at a conference, an international yoga conference, and a publisher heard the presentation. The talk was white is a color too. That was the name of it. Because this organization as yoga is 95% white organization. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? It's not just Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color who are experiencing racial stress and trauma. White people are too. They just don't claim it, own it, or even recognize it. But for an example, white fragility for me is the so-called white fragility, the inability to even have the conversation about race, is evidence to me of an unhealed wound that needs to be excavated, taken a look at, and healed as well. The fear of Black people is an unhealed wound that needs to be excavated, taken a look at, and healed. The demonization of other, someone who doesn't share your own physical characteristics or your own cultural background, if you can't tolerate that, if you are demonizing other, instead of recognizing that we're all coming from the same source here, And, but we're all different. Each of us has something to bring to the table. When you can open your heart and your soul and your mind to that, you're, as far as I'm concerned, you're on a path to self-realization, self-actualization. And when we can each get on that path, wow, what a nice world that would be. That's my vision. I gave a presentation, White is a Color 2. A publisher came to me and said, I heard your talk. You need to write a book. I said, a book? It was a 20-minute talk, you know, and so she smiled and let me do all of that. And so I wrote a proposal. It was accepted and submitted to the publisher. It was The book was supposed to be published in June of this year. Actually, it was supposed to be published June 2021, but I wrote it in a shorter period of time than was anticipated because I wanted to get it done. And so they were going to publish in June of this year. COVID interrupted all of that until August. When the COVID pandemic hit, which we were in, I'm in California, so we were aware before you people on the East Coast understood the severity of it. 
I canceled everything. I called everyone because I had a lot of East Coast venues that wanted to help me launch the book. And I called and canceled in March and they all said, what? I said, yeah, I'm not going to take a chance and travel right now. And then every place else closed down, as it turned out. I thought that because of the pandemic, the viral pandemic, that people would not be interested in this topic. Mm. I did. I thought, well, you know, I, uh, I said, well, that's okay. I, you know, I wrote the book and it'll be fine. And, you know, if people are more concerned about their health and well-being physically than this aspect of life, then I get that. And then... George Floyd was murdered. And then on top of this global pandemic, we began to witness an awakening to the pandemic of racial violence and injustice that is worldwide. It's not just in the United States of America. And this book took off. I did not plan the timing. It, no one did. The publisher didn't. I didn't. Who knew? And it has been just such a gift to so many people. And it was a gift to me also to be able to share the information to a receptive audience. You know, that's really what shifted. I think, I think it was our receptivity to having the conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the timing of the universe, I guess you yes. could say it's maybe the most timely book I've read this year. I've read every book of every author we had on the season. So that's like 10 books in the last, since March is when I started reading all the books. And many of them were timely. Many of them are about current social justice issues. But this was, I think, I think your book gets to a deeper level of the healing part that the other books don't, that, that's just not what they're about. They're about different things, but they're not about the healing per se. There's maybe aspects of that. But I think when you talk about healing, it's such a different conversation. And it's something that we don't talk enough about in our culture. But we don't ever, I think, in specifically in American culture, talk about healing racial trauma and having it not be solely a Black person's conversation. Hey there, my fellow inspiration junkies. Do you miss browsing shelves for books, movies, and music? Denver Public Library is still here for you, offering these great resources both online and curbside. Tell Denver Public Library what you like to read or what you're craving, and they'll send you a whole entire personalized reading list with five to eight customized recommendations just for you. You can even place holds of up to 10 items that you can pick up curbside at most locations. How's that for convenience? Need a library card? No worries. Register for an e-card today and immediately access hundreds of e-media resources like e-books, audiobooks, music, movies, and so much more. And yes, it's all still free. I'm not ashamed to admit that I am totally a library junkie. Now you can call me a nerd if you want to, honey. I'll take it. Denver Public Library branches will be reopening soon. So make sure you check out denverlibrary.org for the latest info. And don't forget to follow Denver Public Library on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Smooches! Listener perks alert! I'm excited to tell you about Libro FM. It lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same prices as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. For every purchase you make on Libro FM, a local bookstore of your choosing gets half the profits. It's a super simple way to shop local right from your own phone. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of That's What She Did podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Who doesn't love a BOGO? I know I do. Go to Libro FM, that's 
L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter code SHEDID. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Now, how's that for a listener perk? That's right. We don't. And that's where my work or my, it's, it's more than my work, but my being as a psychologist enters in because we need, and I say this in the book, that this is something, you know, protesting is important. Changing laws is important. Removing symbols that are painful and offensive is important. It's not enough. Mm -hmm. We need to do some internal work to heal our internal wounds because all of those actions, which are important, do not do that. They do not heal the race-based stress and trauma that we have all embodied. These are embodied experiences. That means that we carry stress and trauma are not thoughts we have in our head. They are not even experiences that exist outside of us. We carry the stress and trauma within our bodies. And if we don't have opportunities, and race-based stress and trauma in particular, I'd like to talk about the difference between PTSD and what I'm talking about also. Stress and trauma is ongoing, it's recurrent, and it's cumulative. It's not something that happens once or twice, and then you don't have to deal with it anymore. So there's this accumulation of unhealed, unaddressed, undigested, unmetabolized stress and trauma that we carry. We carry it in our shoulders. <laughs> we carry it in our backs. We carry it in our gut, in our heart, in our physically when you, you get headaches, for example. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We eat too much. We, you know, it's all of that. These are all physical responses. That's where the yoga comes in. Because yoga, in addition to being a way to find relaxation and a spiritual practice, which also we get to talk about. It is an embodied practice. It is something that addresses, that wakes us up to the state of our body. Restorative yoga in particular is not the same as the athletic yoga that many of us are exposed to. That has value, <laughs> that's important, but it's not. And it also can be restorative, but restorative yoga is a very specific kind of yoga where we use all kinds of props, bolsters, blankets, pillows to hold your body in postures while you're on the floor, various postures on the floor. It's practiced in stillness. It's practiced in silence. And the whole goal is to evoke the relaxation response, which is a real physiologic response. We do that through our breath practices and our awareness. The body comes into this place of deep relaxation and that's where healing occurs. We don't have to do anything. Like what I say to, to people when I'm teaching it, I say, just because you're doing nothing doesn't mean nothing is happening. And as you become aware of that in your consciousness that, you know what, all I'm doing, it's not that you really aren't doing anything. I mean, it takes effort to be still. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a practice. It comes easily to fast paced American world where we're thinking all the time and doing all the time. So to learn to be still is not an easy thing to do. It's very advanced, but that's where, you know, we're repaired and we need that to be able to sustain our activities, our activist work. It's not either or, it's both and. So I think that answers the question, why yoga specifically? I think a couple of years ago, that would have been my question because the yoga I had normally been doing was the more athletic stuff. Mm -hmm. I just, I think it's fun. And I never thought of it as something that was restorative. And in fact, the very first time that I decided to try out a restorative yoga class happened to be election night four years ago. And I went to that class because it was the only class that had space for like a last minute sign up. And I decided last minute as I was watching the election results roll in, like, I got to get out. I'm away from this. I got to get somewhere else. So I went to this yoga studio I'd never been to before, just down the street from my house. I just walked in and was like, what do you got? They said, well, we got, you know, one class that has some space right now. Walked in there. They were like, it's restorative yoga. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll take whatever you got. <laughs> so go in there. And honestly, I thought I wasn't going to come back to another class. It was slow. I didn't get it. And it was a really huge turnoff. I, <laughs> it was really quiet. It was really dark in there. And then towards the end of the class, which ended up being full, 
you know, every space was taken, the instructor started to sing the song. And then the rest of the class started to sing with her. <laughs> and this completely freaked me out. I was like, what are they doing? I don't know what this is. At the end of the class, I left and I was like messaging my friend. And she was like, well, how'd it go? And I was like, honestly, that's the whitest thing I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> Because it was just weird to me. It was completely foreign. I didn't get it at all. And we had a good laugh about it because, you know, she'd been a yogi for years and she's like, no, I've never seen an instructor start to sing. That was different. <laughs> so we laughed about it. I thought I'll never do that again. It's the dumbest thing I've ever experienced in my life. But I found that my normal trading routine, which is I love to weightlift and I like heavyweight, wasn't enough anymore to walk out and feel completely balanced for the week. I needed something else. It just wasn't enough. So I tried another one with a different instructor this time because that first instructor was a little intense for me. She freaked me out. Completely different experience. And it started to make sense about the stillness. I understand using movement and exercise as a way to purge. I had never experienced stillness as a avenue for growth and understanding of oneself. That freaked me out, honestly. <laughs> and so I think when we're talking about healing, we have to be honest with people about the fact that healing is hard and it's scary and you might cry a lot. You know, that might be an issue for you. It was just an interesting experience for me. And I think that maybe one of the reasons that individually we stay away from these practices that were like, you know, this can help you be better, feel better, be more in your body. In order to do that, we have to face some things that are really uncomfortable. All the stuff that's been stored away over the years that you haven't been facing. And I think the first time you start to look at that, it's really unsettling. It can be. I think one of the reasons that I, more than the reason I wrote the book, but I don't know how else to say it. It doesn't have to be, is what I'm saying to you. If you understand, if the instructor, for example, understands that you're dealing with people who are coming into the room with embedded stress and trauma, if you understand that. I think it informs the way you present what you're doing. I think it informs the way you, as the instructor, show up. I think that your very presence can invite a sense of calm, a sense of safety, a sense of peacefulness, even though you know you're inviting people to go within themselves. And you know that they don't know necessarily what they're going to meet when they do that. For example, the practice can be introduced and, and you can do it yourself. You can start by, so let's say your eyes are closed and the room is dark and everything's still and you're in one of these postures. You can start by asking yourself, I wonder what will come up for me today. And then you, you have no way of knowing this because you're getting ready to take a journey into the mystery. And then you can ask yourself, how do you feel right now? Wait for the answer. And yourself will tell you, well, I'm a little anxious right now. Okay. Or I'm really happy right now, whatever it is. Or I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then you ask yourself, what do you need from me right now? And you wait for the answer. Now, what you're doing is creating, you're cultivating your own internal safe place. So that when you encounter something unfamiliar, it doesn't have to freak you out. And that, by the way, is the practice. The practice is, and the practice is to support you in remaining in this place of stillness as you observe whatever is happening without freaking out. <laughs> Let's say all of a sudden a memory comes up. See, what happens is when your mind gets still, your body relaxes. When your body relaxes, it releases stress. The stress release can come in the form of a memory that you had forgotten. It can come in the form of an unexpected emotion. Tears may come, anger may come, laughter may come, some fear may shoot through you. Your mind might get really, really busy. Well, I can't do this because I can't quiet my mind. It gets too busy. No, the busyness is, is an aspect of the stress release. When you have someone who's teaching this, who knows this, and who can speak to this, it keeps you grounded. It helps you remain in this place of self-discovery without freaking out. I do not think it has to be scary. I know what you're saying and I know it mm -hmm. can be, but I don't think it has to be. And I tried to write this book in a way that would invite people to consider that my 
journey of self-exploration doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't. It really doesn't. We always discover stuff about ourselves that we didn't know was there and that we may not like. You know, you say, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and, and that can be, it's an awakening. I mean, it's sort of like, wow. <laughs> but we learn, well, at least the way I teach it, you learn to embrace all of that, trying to get rid of any of that. You recognize, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I do have that. I have betrayed other people. I have not told the truth from time to time. Well, I've hurt some people too. You can be aware of that without condemning yourself, for example. And that's where we cultivate compassion for others. We realize, oh, oh yeah, I've done that too. That could be me. That's how we cultivate empathy. I mean, that's... So that's how I see it. I, I just, I'm not telling you that you ought not be afraid. I just don't think it has to be. No, I hear that. I think for me, I just wasn't, I didn't know what I was walking into. I thought I was just going to like, you know, <laughs> sleep a little bit better. <laughs> I had no clue I was not prepared. <laughs> it wakes you up is what it does. Right. <laughs> it really, it takes you into deep rest. And then it awakens you to aspects of reality that, you may not have faced before. One thing that I think is painful, if I may, can I? Sure, please. I think that one of the most painful experiences any of us faces in life and is disillusionment. Disillusionment is when you realize things don't work the way you thought they did. We are individually and collectively in this country, and maybe the world right now, in a period of massive disillusionment. Oh, the bad guys sometimes win oh, I really am vulnerable to the effects of this pandemic. Oh, things aren't familiar anymore and may not go back to the way they used to be. Oh, there doesn't appear to be anyone right now to help us through. This is disillusionment when you begin to realize that the world doesn't work the way I thought it did. Oh, I don't always get what I want. Yeah, I can't force it. The world is not working the way I thought it did, which is, you know, I'm as long as things are going my way, I'm great. When things don't go my way, I'm not. And then I try to get them to go my way. And if you stop being a certain way, then I can be okay. It doesn't work like that. So we begin to recognize that after we stop fighting it, after we stop, you know, wishing it would be the way we used to think it was and realize, you know what? I don't get it. I don't quite get what's happening here, but things aren't the way they used to be. The life isn't working the way I thought it did. This is the next step toward our growth. And yoga does that. Yoga is a subversive practice, whether you're practicing restorative yoga or the athletic form. At some point, you begin to change. Yoga is a transformative practice. It is more than exercise. It is more than relaxation. It is transformative, whether you know it or not, like it or not. And nobody's coming to yoga to be transformed. You think? You don't think anybody's going? Yeah. Everyone's go Everyone's yeah. like me. They showed up to like get better abs or whatever. <laughs> Especially now that it's being presented as a form of exercise. And now that it's an industry. When I started practicing yoga, it was not an industry and it was not an exercise routine. It was presented as I learned from, actually I learned from, a spiritual master, I didn't know it at the time, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda who wrote the Autobiography of a Yogi. That was my introduction to yoga 50 years ago. And it was a very gentle physical practice, but it was primarily a philosophical, an introduction to the philosophical principles associated with yoga. Without knowing it myself, I was transformed in that year that I engaged in that practice. Steve Jobs was uh, a devotee of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, as it turns out. At his funeral, it's reported that he gifted everyone in attendance of his funeral with the autobiography of a yogi, which is interesting. Really? Mm -hmm. But he says, he tells us, he says, you cannot connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going backward. So in my life, when I look back over the years and begin to tie all of this stuff together, I realized that yoga, it transformed me. It got me out of an abusive marriage. I did not know that that's what it was until I looked back over it. That was that first year I was involved in yoga. I very dramatically ended up, when I was giving a presentation, I've written about this. I said in this presentation, I did everything but walk away. 
I was in an abusive marriage. And a writer came up to me afterward and said, oh my God, I loved what you said. I wrote down what you said. It was so important. I said, what did I say? I didn't <laughs> Tell me so I can write about it. <laughs> she said, you said you did everything but walk away. And, you know, when someone mirrors back to you what you've said, it has an impact. And I realized that's what allowed me to walk away from that marriage. When I stopped trying to change the person who was being abusive to me, when I stopped trying to be nice to avoid more physical abuse, when I stopped doing all the things that people who are in abusive situations do, which is everything but walk away. In a moment, in a moment of awareness, in the midst of an attack, I was being physically attacked by this person. I sort of had this, I'll call it an out-of-body experience. It was, I, I just sort of remember that I was in this state where I was watching it happen. I was watching myself get beat up and I wasn't feeling any physical pain. I was just watching myself getting beat up. And I heard this voice. It sounded like the voice was in the room say, you know, he's crazy, but so are you for putting up with this. It was like, it was an amazing moment for me. And I remember I felt it and I knew it, you know, it wasn't just a voice I'm hearing. I felt it. The most amazing thing happened in that moment. This man who had been beating me up stopped walked away. And I remember thinking also, I thought, I'm not ready to leave yet. I can't. It's going to take me a year. I'm going to go back to school and then I'm going to file for a divorce. And in those days you couldn't get divorces yet. Yeah, mm -hmm. It was a long time ago. They, you just couldn't, there was no opportunity for divorce. It's not like it is now. I thought, and then I'll get a divorce. He stopped hitting me, walked away. He never lifted a finger in that following year to touch me again. We never talked about it. I never told him what happened. It was over. I would not have told you if you had asked me at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I went back to school, got a master's degree in psychology, mm -hmm. got a divorce. If you could ask me at the time, well, why do you think that happened? I would never have said, well, because yoga, I wouldn't have. But as I looked back over my life, I thought that was the only thing. The only explanation I have is that I had been transformed, awakening to the fact that, wait a minute, I don't have to put up with this. What am I doing? I can walk away. That's what your yoga has to offer you. If you take it to the next level of awareness, you know? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, I just barely sort of started dipping into yoga as a more spiritual practice. And it's different. It's definitely different. It's not so much about like, how long can I hold this plank, <laughs> right? There's something deeper happening now yeah. and just got like my materials to start working on my level one certification. And so there's a lot of the history there and really understanding where does this practice come from and what does it all mean and how can you use it and all of that. So it's, it's been very interesting to start to crack open what's a new world to me, but I'm really interested in learning more about what you said around how... You can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them by looking to the past. And I wonder if that's maybe part of the reason why here in the U.S. we are in such a state right now. Because the way I see it, just broadly, is that the sins of the United States of America are not unique. These things have happened. The things that have happened here have happened all over the world. What I think is unique about the United States is that collectively, there's been a refusal to look back and take accountability and acknowledge what actually happened. It's been a more of, we just don't look back. And when we do look back, we have a glossy, I don't know, <laughs> fake version, uh, easier to swallow version of what actually happened. And we're just not going to deal with it. And so I wonder if you think that's part of the trauma that we are all experiencing right now. This is such a, an important conversation. Denial is a defense against feeling pain. Human beings are adaptive. Mm -hmm. When you have been in pain for considerable, for centuries, for example, you adapt. And one of the adaptations is to deny that you're in pain, to deny that there's something wrong. We're seeing it play out now, the denial of the fact that, that the coronavirus pandemic is killing hundreds of thousands of people. Well, it's no big deal, it's you'll get over it, it's da 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 da. That's an aspect of denial. Drugs and alcohol support denial. We numb ourselves. And the story I like to tell is kind of like this. 
there's a, a passerby walking, taking a walk, and she passes by a man sitting on his porch. And there's his dog is lying next to him and the dog is whimpering. So the passerby says, what's wrong with your dog? Why is he whimpering? The man says he's laying on a nail. She says, laying on a nail? Why doesn't he get off? He says, because it hurts even more when he tries. Think about that. If you're walking down the street, you step on a nail, it penetrates your foot. It goes in. We know that that is very painful. In order for that wound to heal, what has to happen? You have to take the nail out. And how does that feel? It hurts more. (laughs) It is cringeworthy to just even think about it. Mm -hmm. But the pain of healing is temporary. It's necessary. And this is what you were talking about, I think, in the yoga class in your own way. Well, it was I got scared. This mm-hmm. is painful. Okay, so uh, I'm not suggesting that it isn't really in case people think that's what I said several paragraphs ago. <laughs> you know. But the pain of healing is temporary and it's necessary on the way to healing that wound, right? Otherwise, it will fester or you grow numb. Let's say you grow a callus around it and you can't feel it anymore. I mean, that's what's happening here. We need, this country needs to get off the pain of its own race-based stress and trauma, its own wounding. The wounds we have endured and the wounds we have inflicted on other people. That will be, the healing process is a painful process, but it's temporary and it's necessary. And so, and it's scary. It can be scary. So I guess I'm affirming what you originally said, but within context. And so what I, you know what I say to people? And social justice activism is scary. I say, do it scared. And when we do these practices that I'm talking about, that you're talking about, and you take them beyond the physical level and take them into your, your psyche, into your being, you find your courage. You do. And you do it scared. Absolutely. When India was trying to find its national identity, which this is about 150 years ago, and that was when the modern era of yoga began, because prior to that, yoga was not a physical practice. It was a meditation practice, but that, you know, we'll, we can talk about later if there's time. It was being presented, it was as kind of a subversively as a martial art. Mm. It was not advertised that way, meaning it wasn't being talked about that way because people were being prepared to be strong physically, emotionally, and spiritually for the coming revolution, for getting out from underneath British control. Now, I think also when we begin to think about yoga and its power as more than exercise or relaxation, as transformative, when you learn about that, I don't know, I just think it's I don't know, it empowers you, I think. And I would say that this to you, you're talking about going into your yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. You started, for some reason, you went to a yoga class and you liked it and it was fun and you were doing all of that. What in the world do you suppose motivated you to take it to the next level? That's the transformation I'm talking about. You just probably thought, well, I'll just take a yoga teacher training. It was a transformative process that got sure. you there. Yeah. I didn't wake up one day and was like, I'll just take a, you know, I'll just take a class. Yeah. I think it's been probably two years in the making that I've sort of slowly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, what do I want to say? It's, it's, there's an intuitive awareness that invites us into this practice. There's an intuitive awareness that invites us to take it, to keep going, to take it to the next level and the next and the next. Mm-hmm. Like when we were talking about this book, I really wasn't in charge of the timeline here. I wasn't. But the other thing I like about restorative yoga is that it's a receptive practice. It teaches you how to receive. And for those of us who are active out in the world, active, that is a skill that we need to develop also how to receive, not how to just give and do and give and do and give and do. How can I receive what's being offered here? Definitely. Which I think that was a big lesson for me personally. It's hard to receive. I think also it was like women. And when you're a woman of color, you're not taught to receive. You're taught to give and give and give and give and give and give. And to the point of martyrdom, if necessary, but learning how to receive even something as simple as a compliment, like, Hey, you look nice today. Feels uncomfortable. Yeah, instead of thank you, well, I, and then you say whatever's wrong. You know? Right, exactly. So what you're describing is also an adaptation. We were women of color, Black women and women of color and Indigenous women have not been taught to receive. Our value was based on what we could do for others. Yeah. 
That's the measure of worth. And it's time for us to rethink that and realize, wait a minute, (laughs) I have value beyond what I can do for you. Yes. But if I'm not taking the time to be still long enough to hear that voice and then to honor it, which is, that's another, you know, step to honor it. That's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, am I being selfish? And I say selfish is self-aware. When I'm self-aware, I will notice that I'm really uncomfortable doing all of this. And if I'm really uncomfortable, this is another part of restorative yoga. When you practice restorative, you learn comfort feels like. And you learn the difference between comfort and discomfort and which is more attractive. It feels better to be comfortable. And so eventually choosing comfort becomes your default mode. Yes. Not working like a maniac, doing everything for everybody because they asked you to. And I'll just tack on like one thing that I, I've really learned and one thing that I've, I work hard to try to teach in my wellness practices is that the body knows, like you can feel it first in your body when somebody's asking you for something or you are feeling like you need to do something and it's not the right thing for you to be doing. You mm-hmm. just feel it physically, but you have to be willing to hear it instead of ignoring it, which is our default to ignore those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, again, the retreat into this adaptation, adapting to being in a culture that doesn't support you in being whole and complete. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we have to take a look at these adaptations. And that, okay, so that's the difference between race-based stress injury, which mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Race-based stress Injury, race-based traumatic stress is regarded as an injury, not a disorder. A disorder means there's something wrong with you. Mm. The truth of the matter is there is something wrong, but it's not with you. So the injury is an external, a race-related external event that causes emotional pain. That's what race-based traumatic stress injury is. And it's always unexpected, always. Always comes out of nowhere. Always is uncontrollable. And it's always a surprise. Those are the characteristics of it. The core stressor is emotional pain. Post-traumatic stress disorder is called a disorder because it is considered to be a psychiatric disorder caused by a life threat that the person was not able to metabolize or digest and so can get flipped back into the experience and have the experience all over again as if it's happening now, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. So... You can develop PTSD because of unaddressed, unacknowledged race-based stress and trauma because it's recurring, ongoing, and cumulative, but it is not the same. And one of the things I want people to hear and know, and I always say it in my workshops, I always say, you're not crazy, you're just hurt. Mm -hmm. Whatever you are feeling in relationship to and a race-related event that's causing you to be upset is valid. It's your feeling. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to pretend you're not having the experience and you don't have to feel bad about it. You feel what you feel. You know what you know. And because you're feeling it, that's what makes it real. And for anyone to tell you, and that's what happens in this culture also, I'm the least racist person in the room. No, that had nothing to do with race. It's the only thing anybody can see that's different (laughs) between you and me is race. You know, it's like, well, what is it then? And so then we begin to doubt ourselves Stop it right now. That's what I'm saying. Don't doubt yourself. You know, you know, in the bottom of your soul, when you have been emotionally injured by some race-related event, doesn't matter how big or how small it is. If it hurts, it hurts. (laughs) And you know it. Again, taking people and giving people the experience to go inside their bodies through the restorative practice, for example, with someone who knows what they're doing, (laughs) helps you begin to realize, oh, I do feel this in my body. And this is where I feel it in my body. This is where, oh, when I get triggered, I can tell because my stomach gets knotted up, for example. Mm -hmm. Or I can tell because my shoulders are up around my ears. When you begin to realize all of that, now I can do something about it. Now, when I can feel my stomach getting ready to knot up, I don't have to blow up. I don't have to wait until I'm overwhelmed by the emotion and get hijacked by it and act out in ways that I might regret later. I can feel this bubbling up and I can say, you know what? Give me a minute. I need a timeout getting triggered. Let me just take a breath here. 
It's your grandmother's advice, uh, count to 10 before you do anything. So we can bring ourselves back into that place of equanimity where we're not feeling hijacked by our emotions. It's not that we don't have the emotion. It's just that we are capable of tolerating the discomfort and remaining present to the situation as it is. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, that's the work. So that's what the restorative practice does. It helps you practice that. It helps you remaining. So here I am remaining still, bumping into something in me that I don't like or that surprises me. And I can just breathe and stay there. And then I notice it goes away. Oh, oh, that wasn't a permanent state of being. Mm -hmm. Oh, that isn't who I am. That's just what I experienced. So when we're talking about race-based stress and trauma, I think initially we're probably talking about, you know, Black, Indigenous, or people of color. Yeah. But I think to one of your earlier points, you're saying, well, white people experience this as well. So what does that mean? What does that look like for a white person to have race-based stress? Well, I don't know, because I'm not white. Fair. Fair enough, yes. I will tell you what I I have observed, Mm -hmm. and that is... When we hear about race-based stress and trauma, we do think about Black, Indigenous, and people of color. But that's because we've been culturally conditioned to think that race means us, Mm -hmm. not them, all right? Race means all of us, okay? Yeah. So one of the things that white people don't want to face, don't want to experience is shame and guilt. These are painful experiences. It doesn't feel good to feel shame. It doesn't feel good to feel guilt whether the shame and guilt is earned or unearned, because some of it's unearned. You know, some of it's, we talk about ancestral memory. Some of it is just shame and guilt that's, that's just been denied and passed on from one generation to the next. And the denial mechanism has been passed on also, so I don't have to feel that. But this is what I say about shame and guilt. Welcome it, welcome it. Because when you don't feel shame, And when you don't feel guilty, it allows you to engage in atrocities that you can't if you feel guilty and shameful. It allows you to be numb to the atrocities that you see other people doing. It allows you to distance yourself from the violence and injustices that you see, for example. I saw the whole video of the George Floyd murder before it was televised. I didn't get an editorialized version of it. You know what I'm saying? It was so I had my own experience of observing that. And as I was able to sit with it over the days and weeks with it, one of the thoughts that I had is I thought, I wonder how many white people watching that identified with the police officer who was doing the murder. I wonder if any of them thought, oh my God, that could have been my husband. Oh my God, the white police officer, the murderer. Oh my God, that could have been my son. Oh my God, that could have been my nephew, my uncle, my, you know. I wonder if any white person stepped into that space. And my guess is probably not. And my suggestion is step into that space. Quit looking at George Floyd you know, to black people, because, you know, how are you feeling about that? As if it doesn't involve them. I think you have to step into that supply. What are we teaching in, in our public schools that would allow that kind of consciousness to even evolve and develop? You know, what's going on here? How is our educational system set up to do what? To keep us in denial? Is that what we've done? Have white people, have we created an environment, a system that allows us to remain oblivious? that allows us to remain in denial. And then we call it white privilege. See, I write about this in the book. I do not think it's a privilege to be oblivious or to be in denial. And I think it's time for us to quit regarding that as a privilege. It's not, it's ignorance and it's a choice. It's a choice at this point. It's not a privilege to not know. You have the power to get to know yourself. This is not about getting to know black and brown and indigenous people, although that helps. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. But how about let's starting with ourselves first. How about you get to know you and your own relationship to your own race and ethnicity and your own wounding that you've never dealt with instead of paying attention to mine? Mm -hmm. And how about if I do the same? And then how about if as a collective, we can come together and share our stories? That's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. We're not there yet. I mean, 
I hope we're closer. I think so. We're having the conversation. True. We're actually talking about race in mm-hmm. on a national level, which I I don't know if that's ever happened. Not like that. I mean, not I'm in my 30s. Not in my lifetime, it hasn't. <laughs> so that's something. Yeah. Yeah. No, not like this. It had, we in my lifetime, it, we've had the conversations, but not like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and so because I think that I think because people your age, for example, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm passing the torch. I've done my protesting, made my sacrifices. I've taken one for the team many, many times. That's all. I've got a whole other set of stories about that. But and so now I'm saying it's your turn. It's your turn to come into this space of self-study, to do it with discipline and to surrender to something bigger than you. That's the practice as far as I'm concerned. And because you people your age, my son is 38. So people your age have had a very different experience, you know, and you see the world through different eyes. You see it through the eyes of freedom that we did not experience. We were fighting for it. Mm-hmm. And you sort of benefited from it. Sure. And then all of a sudden it feels like it's being snatched away. And that's new, I think, for you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. kind of like a shock. And so it's like, we're mad about that. This is not okay with us. I like that. I'm happy to know this. (laughs) Right. You know, and so we, what do they say? Freedom ain't free. It's not. You have to fight for it and protect it. Yeah, agreed. Part of the inspiration to do this show. That's right. That this is a place where we will work hard to amplify the work and the voices of women, particularly women of color who are doing impactful things in the world that have something important to say, the kinds of things that are going to move us forward and connect the dot, the dots from the past to the future and help us get on a better way, the whole purpose of the show. So, And, and I think that your generation is in uh, the ideal position to do that because you know more. I mean, I know you're shocked by all that's going on now and it's sort of like, but that's what I'm for to say, you know what? It's okay. We, we got this, you know, but yeah, it's, it's up to you to make Absolutely. the world a better place for you and me. <laughs> yes. That's what I always say. Well, I'm going to go make the world a better place for you and me. And I'm still <laughs> doing it. I, you know, trying to, but it's your turn now. Come on. You know, we can join each other and support each other in doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Gale for, again, for the book. I, I learned so much. Thank you for your time today. I feel like I could sit for hours and just listen to you talk and teach about this topic. I can't wait for this episode to be ready for release to give to our listeners. And don't forget, we are giving away this book, everyone. We're giving away a book every week, but I really want this book to go to somebody who is going to read it and use it and share that information, maybe pass it on to somebody else who can benefit from it. So if you are not registered for the giveaway, you need to do that right away. Go to our website. That's what she did podcast.com. It's just a couple of clicks to get on the list. And I can't wait to give you this book. So thank you again, um, Dr. Gail, you and your publisher for getting us the book and giving us the opportunity to pass it on to somebody else. Oh, I, it's just my pleasure. And also, can I do a shameless plug? Absolutely, please do. Those of you who don't receive the gift, you can buy it on Amazon. Yes, <laughs> buy the book. That's it. <laughs> you don't win it, buy the book. This one is so, so worth your time, whether or not you are a yogi. If you're thinking about trying out yoga, if you were just thinking about trying to heal or interested in the topic of what does healing look like, this is a really great starting point. It's written by a psychotherapist, but it's not just for psychotherapists. I I don't have a psychology degree, you guys. (laughs) So thank you again. It has been 100% my pleasure to have you on the show today. I can't thank you enough. And I can't wait for this book to get out to more people. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, folks, you know what to do. Tune in next week. If you are not subscribed to the show, I don't know what you're waiting for. Hit the subscribe button right now so you don't miss any episodes as they're available or more opportunities to win. Until next time, we out. <laughs>